My guess is that most of you have seen the 1997 blockbuster movie Titanic. Whether it be a scene of standing on the deck or knowing the Celine Dion song, there's no spoilers here because obviously you know historically how that movie ends. But there is a climactic scene midway through the movie. And by the way, it's a long movie. And I remember seeing it myself at the uh, movie theater. And what happened was it was sold out except for one seat that was available. We went with our church group and we kind of split up. And the one seat that I took was the very first seat in the front. And we saw it with the special surround sound um, effects and all the water scenes were so overwhelming to me I actually got almost motion sickness but anyhow back to the story there's a climactic scene in which the Titanic now has hit the icebergs and they start filling the lifeboats with passengers for evacuation plans and if you remember the captain looks to the crowd people are waiting to board these boats and the captain simply says Women and children first. Now, this is a common phrase, and it's played out in multiple scenarios, especially in regards to crisis and evacuation situations. And let me read into this for just a moment. My thought is that the implication of the reason for this priority is maybe due to a disadvantage, possibly even a weakness of sorts, given to those two groupings of people, to the women as well as to the children. But today, as we continue on in our series in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see that Jesus actually takes the ideas of women and children and speaks countercultural to the first century Jewish situation. And in so doing, he actually elevates the women and children contrary to the societal norms of that day. And the lessons here that we'll find today also apply in the 21st century as much as it did in the 1st century. So let's begin our time. Our message is entitled, Women and Children First. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Let me read this passage to you as we begin. Mark 5, 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had discharged of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, 
You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Two dynamic scenes here of God continuing on in the theme of the Gospel of Mark, which is that of miracles. And as Jesus proceeds, we're going to now look at our outline as we break down this passage. Number one, we see a divine delay, verses 21 to 24. Now, if you're like me, and sometimes we like to be time-oriented, the whole idea of punctuality is an important virtue. And let me just be clear, it is a, an important virtue. We need to be on time for work. We need to be on time for school. We need to be on time for appointments. But don't equate punctuality necessarily with godliness. We're going to see that Jesus seems to work on his own time schedule that seems to have a divine purpose to it. So that's going to be the first point. Number two, a chronic disease, verses 25 to 34. This is the woman who is bleeding, and it says for 12 years. That's unfathomable if you think about it. Number three, then, it turns to a deep sleep, verses 35 to 43. It's interesting because in the Bible, the term sleep often is equated with death. And Jesus is speaking in a figurative sense here as he is probably talking about death, but he's likening it to something that's temporary. And then finally, we're going to see an overall picture of comparison and contrast from this passage. So let's go ahead and jump into our first idea, a divine delay. In this first situation, Jesus has just come back for more teaching and more healing. And as a result, what happens is a gentleman named Jairus, who is a ruler of the synagogue, comes and approaches him. Now, Mark gives us this information that's crucial to the discussion. He's a ruler of the synagogue, which means he was a person, person of high status. This person was probably wealthy. He probably had rank and notoriety. And so now, as he comes to Jesus... Jairus has a need. 
he actually has an, an urgent need indicated by the fact that he fell at Jesus' feet. And in verse 23, this is one of those Bible words, he implored him, which is a fancy way of saying he begged him. And it's probably because of the urgency of the situation that Jairus now is begging Jesus. And here's what he says. My little daughter is at the point of death. Let's stop here for a second. Put yourself in Jairus' shoes. If you had a daughter, if you had a friend, a loved one, who you knew was at the brink of death, and you met a person who had somehow miraculous power to either interrupt that process or even to bring it back, to reverse it, you would probably go there with a sense of urgency. You would beg just as Jairus would do. And again, I think the detail is quite telling because, again, rulers were dignified. They were perhaps not so emotional or emotive. They were basically... Uh, honorific in a sense that they were a certain perception and for him to come and to beg to Jesus who was really a nobody an unknown a rogue is quite fascinating and he asked specifically come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live now stop here for a second I think one of the things that we'll see that develops further in this passage is here we see a seed or a beginning of faith. Faith is the thematic thread that is woven into the fabric of this particular paragraph. Jairus has faith in Jesus. He knows that this is not some ordinary dude, but rather he has power. And so in this, knowing the need of Jairus' daughter, he specifically asks, please come, that she may be made well and live. This is an interesting thought because I wonder if this is your step as well, that you have a faith, a trust, a belief that out of all the people that are out there, whether it be self-help people or or TV gurus, or crystals, that Jesus is the only one that if you put faith and trust in him, he will do something above and beyond anyone else. An outstanding work, a miracle of sorts. Obviously, Jairus knew this. That's why he comes, singles out Jesus, and makes a request. But what's interesting here. It says at the last part, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, meaning they were kind of pulling at him, saying, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Imagine if you were at a crowd, whether it be a wedding or a party, and you have seen people that you haven't seen for a while and you want to reconnect. It's tough sometimes. You're talking to a person, and then in your eyesight comes another person that you want to talk to. And then immediately another person comes within view, and you're like, where do I go? And you feel like you're being you know, pulled in all different directions. Jesus was experiencing that. But imagine if you were Jairus. We have to go. We have to go now. My, my daughter is at the point of death. Every moment, every minute, every second counts. 
So much so that he begs Jesus, let's go right now. We'll come back to that timing thing in just a moment. But here is a key insight that I want you to note, and that is this. That Jairus is a high-ranking official in the synagogue. We're going to see how that status marker of society plays into, again, the whole paragraph because there's going to be a pretty vivid contrast between Jairus and the next episode of who he meets. And that leads to our second point, a chronic disease. A chronic disease. Pick up with me now in verse 25. It says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and it tells us was no better, but rather grew worse. I don't know if you've ever experienced this either with yourself or with loved ones. You know, it's difficult these days to get good physicians for for doctors and medical treatment. And, of course, there's the challenges of insurance and finances and, you know, this approval for this PPO or HMO or whatever it may be. But imagine going to a doctor. And I think a lot of us think that doctors can cure us. I've come to the conclusion that they can diagnose us. But that's about it sometimes. But this woman had gone through many doctors, it tells us. And all that she had financially, she spent on these physicians. You would think that the result would be one that's positive. But Mark comments and says, she was no better, but rather grew worse. This woman now hearing about the great physician, Jesus, Verse 27 says she heard reports about Jesus, and so she wants to at least get a glimpse, if not to touch him alone. And verse 28 is a very telling statement. Look what she says. She says to herself, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Let's follow that thread line that we talked about earlier, the thread of faith that's woven into the fabric of this passage. Jairus believes that Jesus can heal. This woman believes that even if I touch his garment, I will be healed. We will see an increase of faith all throughout this passage. But going back now, it's interesting because starting in verse 28, it says, immediately, which is another theme of the book of Mark, it's the fast gospel, if you remember, it says the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Just one thing that I want you to understand, you know, there are a lot of people today who claim different types of healings. And let me be clear for the record, I do believe God does heal people. I do believe that still happens today. But if you trace the record of Scripture, one of the indicators that it is a true healing versus one that may not be is the fact of the immediacy of the healing. If you look at all the accounts of the different healings, they happened instantaneously. And so as a result, that way there's no saying, well, this person just got well, or this person just had some more rest, or maybe the medicine's kicking in. No, when God heals, it happens right away. 
And that's why that word immediately is an important adverb that explains this idea that this happened right then and there. As we pick up now in verse 30, Jesus has an interesting conversation with his disciples. He says, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately he turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now, based on the disciples' answer in verse 31, they were still clueless to what Jesus was asking. His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? What's going on in that little exchange and discourse here? Obviously, earlier on it said that Jesus was working through the crowds and they were all touching him because they wanted to get a look or perhaps even some healing. And so there were multiple people in the pathway between where Jairus was going and asked the, to go to his house and the pathway in between. And so he's touching lots of people. And so it is bizarre for the disciples to figure out one person touched him, Jesus, and she got healed. And so they were kind of like baffled. Why do you say that? Well, I think what Jesus is doing here is he's not clueless. Rather, he's inviting to this woman. He's trying to single her out because there was something unique about this woman when she touched Jesus. And it goes back to the statement that she herself made in verse 28, that if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. It was an indicator that she had a faith in Jesus. So it wasn't a bunch of people just saying, oh, let's do this, let's do this. Rather, she came knowing. She had a confidence that Jesus would do something for her. You know, it's interesting that the phrase doubting Thomas, which was probably coined on one of Jesus' followers, it's actually the Greek word didymus, which means double-minded or double uh, thoughts, is a phrase that we still use today. And oftentimes when we come to God or to Jesus and we ask for requests, the doubting phrase is often used because we have a paradigm of how we ask God for things. Here's probably what you and I do all, all the time. We'll say, God, if you show me this, I'll believe. And in those kinds of situations, we set it up where we're putting God at burden. The onus is on him to show up. And then if we say, well, I, you didn't answer it, I don't believe. But please, remember who God is. We are not, but he is. And so when God sets the terms, and we'll see it again in just a moment in another part of this passage, it's not, show me and I'll believe. God says, believe, and I'll show you. You see, I wonder if many of us either have a small faith, possibly no faith. And I think part of why Scripture shows us these episodes of faith and the fulfillment of faith is so that we would have a stronger confidence in who Jesus is. There are many things that we ask for and seemingly, God doesn't answer. But I wonder if it's because we're not paying attention. One of the things that I've started recently again, which I had stopped for a long time, 
is the spiritual discipline of journaling. I have a little black book that I started writing down different thoughts, different prayer requests, and as a result, different answers to those prayer requests. One of the things that I prayed for specifically, many of you know, is I have a knee problem. I had been taking medication for many, many years. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to ask the Lord to heal me and help me. I was a bit fearful, to be honest with you, because I was dependent on these medicines. But when I stopped, surprisingly, I had no pain. I want to suggest that God met me. I believed first, and then he showed up. What do you need to believe in first to our almighty, trustworthy God where he will actually show you his power because you trust in who he is? That was this woman who had this bleeding situation. She believed, and God showed up in a clear way. Go back to the passage now. It says now in verse 33, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the entire whole truth. And he says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. A chronic disease for 12 years, Jesus healed fully and immediately because of her faith. Now, this is quite interesting again. Because there is a huge contrast that's being worked here. Let's go back to the first episode. Jairus was a high-ranking official. He was an honorific man. And then this woman who had discharge of blood, a menstrual issue for 12 years. Culturally speaking, there were a number of strikes that were against this woman. First, unfortunately, just because she was a woman, she was on the bottom of the totem pole under the taxonomy of culture. In first century Jewish culture, which is the culture here, here is the, the order of people in ranking. Men first, children next, then animals, and then women. Women were fourth in terms of priority. But there was yet a second strike against this woman. Because she was bleeding for so long, she was now considered ceremonially unclean. Any type of blood, certainly a discharge, would have disqualified her. She would have been seen as a person who was an outcast of society. Yet Jesus embraces her. Jesus invites her and then even blesses her and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. I think one of the important takeaways from this is whether high in rank or low in status, Jesus equalizes everything. He cares for all. And he invites anyone, Jairus or this woman, to a journey of faith. A faith that will lead to a well and good outcome. That leads us to our third point now, a deep sleep. 
back to the situation. This paragraph began where Jairus comes asking Jesus to go to his house because his daughter is on the brink of death. Fast forward verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now imagine that you're Jairus. Yes, Jesus healed this woman who was bleeding. That's a good thing. But he's probably thinking, it's too late. We shouldn't have waited. We shouldn't have delayed. And could you imagine what was going on here? How does Jesus respond? Look at verse 36. And this finishes off the first point of the divine delay. Look what he says. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear. Only believe. Hmm. Could you imagine that? His daughter has just died. And Jesus says, do not fear. Another way of saying that is, do not be troubled. But I'm thinking, if something happened to my child, I'm like, Jesus, that's a hard sell. That's, that's kind of unreasonable. But what he is saying is this. I've got everything under control. When he says only believe, what he means is trust him. Trust him. I've got everything under control. Do not worry. One of the interesting things that you'll see as a movement through Scripture is Jesus is never hurried. He doesn't rush. He doesn't succumb to stress. He is in perfect accordance and in perfect sync with the timing of the will of God. And so when he says, do not fear, only believe, he's saying, chill out. I've got this. Isn't that an incredibly assuring statement to hear? Chill out. I've got this. But see, that's what Jesus does for us all the time. Some of you are worried. I don't have a job. It's been a long time. Chill out. Jesus has got this. Some of you are worried. I'm not, I, don't, I want to get married. I waited 41 years, by the way. <laughs> My faith was stretched. Back to the point. I can't even get a date. Chill out. Jesus has got this. He might even have the perfect person better than what you can actually choose. You see, we worry so much, and our culture and the speed of social media speeding everything up puts us on a reckless tirade of sorts. It's kind of like that movie Speed. We're on the bus. We're just going recklessly, and we're thinking, oh, my goodness, something's going to blow up. Chill out. Jesus has got this. And so now in verse 37, he calls his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, to follow him. They end up in verse 38 to the house of the ruler, and they saw people weeping and wailing. Obviously, because someone has died. It's the high-ranking official's daughter. 
But when he had entered, verse 39, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, based on that statement, verse 40, everyone thought, this is ridiculous. It says, and they laughed at him. But who would know better about the diagnosis of this girl than the great physician? It, it's like someone who's like the most brilliant person in the field who understands and assesses the situation and is be able to give the best conclusion and everyone's just like laughing. <laughs> this is Jesus. He's saying she's just sleeping. Because now they're on the brink of yet another miracle. Jesus is going to turn death back on its heels and now give her life. Verse 41, taking her by the hand, she said to her, Talitha kum, which is an Aramaic phrase. Mark translates it for us and says, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And again, consistent with Mark's theme, immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Verse 43 is quite interesting because now what's interesting he says don't tell anyone about this. We'll see later on in lessons coming up the reason why is because Jesus his mission was not to heal at least not just physically. His mission was to go to the cross so that that single act would bring healing ultimately, spiritually, retroactively to those who were unbelievers before, to who believed, to those presently, and then even to the future, including us. His mission was the cross, to redeem all mankind, not just to heal a few people in the first century. And they were amazed. Jesus had a couple of key phrases here. The first one is, do not fear, only believe. Maybe some of us need to hear that today. Here's the challenge that comes to Jairus. Imagine, early on, he had a sense that Jesus could do something. But now in this third episode of a deep sleep where she is awakened, he's seeing right before his eyes. Because he believed, he now sees how God shows up. And could you imagine how his faith increased? He now truly believed. As we go to our fourth point, I thought it'd be interesting. The commentary that I was looking at made a number of interesting comparisons and contrasts that are quite fascinating within this passage. Let's look at some contrasts, first of all. I mentioned a couple of these already. The first contrast is a different societal class. Jairus was from the high class. The woman was from the lowest of society. Remember, the woman was below even animals in Jewish culture. But again, due to her gender and even uncleanliness, ceremonially speaking, Jesus still reached out to her. A second one would be men would have been honored, women would not have been honored. And so the fact that even Jesus would pay attention to her and talk to her and call her daughter was quite significant. Third, Jairus had little faith, while the woman had stronger faith. Again, this is kind of interesting to me. When you look at the episodes of Jesus in his interaction between men and women, it's always the men who don't have a strong faith. They're kind of like questioning, and it's the women who come in full faith. And again, if I could just characterize this, this might be true even in Korean churches today. 
there seems to be a term called kwanzanim, I think, which is older praying woman. I don't think there's a male counterpart for that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking, is that because they don't pray? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just asking a question. I'm not making an indictment here. I'm just asking. So that's quite interesting that that's continuously a principle that continues to the 21st century. Let's look at the comparisons that are, again, quite fascinating. Here's the first one. Both the woman and the young girls are called daughter, which is a familial term, a term of endearment. He just doesn't say girl or lady, daughter. There's a term of endearment where Jesus is embracing this person. Here's another one that's interesting. The woman suffered for 12 years from the bleeding, and guess how old the girl was? 12 years old. That number 12, by the way, is an interesting number that's used all throughout the scriptures, starting with the 12 tribes of Israel. And then number three, both women would have been considered ceremonially unclean. The woman because of her bleeding, and the girl because she was dead. So in Jewish culture, you would never touch a dead body. But see, Jesus goes against the culture. He's countercultural, so that as he shows up, he's going to do something amazing. And the third, fourth and final thing here, which I think is the big takeaway, both women got well because of their faith. What do we do with this? Here's some application questions, and then we'll close off with our central truth. Number one, Jesus does not discriminate between gender or social class, nor should we. We need to hold people in high honor. So how well do you do this? There's a misrepresentation, a caricature, a stereotype that the Bible is misogynistic. When I say misogynistic, that's not people who give massages, but it's a hater of women because of misreads of scripture where they'll isolate a verse and then make a big straw man argument out of it. Don't do that. Read the Bible in context. And if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to explain some of these misreads. There's no person more than Jesus who elevated women, especially in the light of the Jewish culture, which was highly patriarchal. So Jesus wanted to bring not only different gender, but also social class into high honor. How do you do in that? Are you doing well in that? Sometimes in the church, and I've come from backgrounds where the church would take Bibles, and the men especially would like to beat on the women with Bible passages. Boom. Let the woman be silent. Boom. Well, that's in the Bible, yes, kind of. But what does it say about men to pray in 1 Timothy 2? Do you pray? Are you dignified? Are you honorable? Do you know the Bible? Are you, do you have dark? See, we love to blame shift, but then we don't take our own responsibility. That's why this last men's retreat where we said man up was such a key time for us to get together because we wanted to train ourselves to be godly men. We have no right to criticize when we ourselves aren't doing our own stuff. So let's take care of our stuff first. And then let's lead in a godly way. And then through that example, hopefully that will encourage women and children to be able to grow in their faith. Number two, we need to trust Jesus more with his timing. Maybe he had some divine delays for you. Could it be your job, school, dating, marriage, family? 
And are you trusting and patient with God's divine delays? I've often shared it was not easy for me to be single for that long. But that was God's plan for me. And now in hindsight, which is always 2020, I look back and say, man, God really had the best plan for me. I could say that for my wife, for my kids, even here at the church, looking back. Because as you know, I wasn't intending to be a pastor again at all. I thought in 2012, I retired, I'm done, no more stress. But I'm back. <laughs> and I'm very happy. And I've embraced this. And I look forward to being at church and with you every Sunday and more. Some of you recently have celebrated God's divine delays where you thought, oh man, this looks hopeless, and then it happened. May I suggest to you, in that time that you're waiting, in order to have more patience and trust, the best thing to do is to pray. And I think this is something that our first generation does extremely well that we have yet to learn and that we need to pray. We're going to be introducing soon our Zoom prayer opportunities for you. Great opportunities to pray in your home at night. You don't even have to travel far. Many people have already benefited from this, and they will have more opportunities as well for you in the future. We need to pray. Some of you are praying for a child. Some of you are praying for a mate. Some of you are praying for a job. Some of you are just praying that things would turn better. But let me ask you this question. Are you even praying about these things? to trust him, to be patient for God's divine delay. And then finally, number three, faith in Christ will always bring a God-ordained outcome. He says, do not fear, but believe. Modern translation. Chill out. I've got this. Do you fear or do you believe? Seems to be one or the other, right? Either you're going to have fear which says, I don't know. Or you're going to say, I know. Jesus, I believe. I'm going to trust him. Here's our central truth as we close. Jesus does miracles for all people according to his time frame and his will as we grow in our faith and trust in him. One more time. Jesus does miracles for all people according to his time frame and his will as we grow in our faith and trust in him. Two episodes we saw. The woman, she had strong faith. She believed and immediately she was healed. Jairus, he kind of believed, but he needed to see it. As he trusted Jesus, Jesus certainly showed up and he delivered the goods. And then he became stronger is his outcome. Where are you today? Do you believe or do you fear? Do you even know him? If you don't know him, let me just briefly mention that we're not asking you to sign up for a religion, never. We're asking you to know a person in a relationship. That person certainly is Jesus. And so today after the service, I'll be here. I'll be more than happy to talk with you if you have any questions. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? That's the essence of being a Christian. And today, as you come here to the bridge, it's a place to connect connect with God vertically, and then as a result, the outcome will to live that out horizontally in our connection with one another. So my prayer is that you're on that journey of faith and that you are growing day by day as you trust him for his will and his timing. Would you pray with me now?